I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Hot Tottenham sponsored by NordVPN. Following last weekend's brilliant 2-1 win over Brighton, Spurs crashed back down to earth with a 3-2 defeat against Bournemouth on Saturday. Alistair Gold joining me as ever, Ali. I'm sure I don't need to ask how you are doing, do I? No, but you're going to anyway. And yes, it's Tottenham. Honestly, it's just incredible. I I actually made the mistake. I did a Rob Guest. Before the game, I kind of slightly confidently predicted that I thought the match would go well. um, And it was really stupid. I'm so bad at predictions. I should always steer clear of them. um, Because, yeah, I thought, you know what? This might be the one we're at home. Spurs make it six in a row at home. And then maybe next week is the, is the tougher stuff where they maybe slip up and, and, and everyone has a whinge. Oh, this was not the way it went at all. Spurs just absolutely sat back in their shell. It was a, another rubbish match, really. Um, and then obviously we had off-the-pitch stuff with booze, chants. The atmosphere was just horrendous. Uh, it was like... It was just the worst advert for Tottenham Hotspur in every possible sense. Anyone watching on supporting another team would have just thought, what a club. Um, to be fair, it's pretty much what we say every week, but it's just like, oh, honestly, I, I'm still trying to comprehend some of the things that happened on the day because it was just oh, chaos. I feel like we use the word chaos, or I use the word chaos a lot, but it just Spurs don't seem to be coming out of this chaos anytime soon. It's mad. It's every week we're pr- practically yeah. using the word chaos. And yeah. yeah, as ever, plenty to talk about in the world of Tottenham. So Spurs were leading 1-0 following a really good goal from Son. Then Bournemouth scored either side of half-time. Tottenham equalised Arnaud Danjuma against his former club, scored in the 88th minute. And then Bournemouth went upfield in the 95th minute and got another winner. So important win for Bournemouth as a lot to, you know, stay in the Premier League rather than returning to the Championship at the first time of asking. But for Spurs, a really costly defeat, especially with Newcastle losing 3-0 against Aston Villa in the early kickoff. So, Ali, as you were at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, shall we hear your thoughts, first of all, on what was another terrible day for Tottenham? Well, do you know what? I should have known that it was going to be a day where I didn't really have any idea what was to come when I looked at the Spurs under-21s lineup, and I thought there'd been a big issue somewhere along the line because Lucas Moura was playing for the under-21s, completely forgetting that he was suspended. I thought there'd been some kind of big bust-up. I was like, oh my God, he's been dropped to the under-21s, which pretty much set the whole tone of the day for me of just not really having any clue what was happening in front of me because... Ah, oh, Spurs, they started, it was just, it's one of those where the pattern was so predictable and it's the one we've seen so many times. 
start with a little bit of enthusiasm, a bit of pressing, get a decent goal as well. You know, Perisic and Son again combining is like everything that we kind of said about those two maybe not linking up in the last two games has absolutely switched around and, and it seems to be working quite nicely for them. I thought both had a reasonably good game. Perisic even more so. I thought Perisic had a very good day um, on the whole. But yeah, start well, show a bit of enthusiasm, score a goal, and then suddenly decide, oh, do you know what? All this stuff that we've been doing really well, let's chuck that out and let's sit back at the other end of the pitch and see what happens. It's just, it's mind-blowing that this team continues to do this. Um, and i kind of going back and forth over... Because there's a part of me that thinks, right, well, we've had various managers have said we're not asking them to sit back. We've now had various players say they're not uh, meant to be sitting back. They're not being told to. But I just I can't continue to believe that the players are just naturally do that. Maybe it's I just don't want to believe that. But is it? And this I'll put this question to you. This was something I wrote in my talking points. Is it that in the last four years, maybe maybe the I don't want to. It's a difficult one. You could kind of include the final months on the potch if you want. But to make my point, <laughs> I want to kind of try to say, is it because the last three managers, four if you're going to include Stellini, because obviously he is a, a man of Conte, let's put it that way. Is it because they've all played with a system that is very compact and I don't want to say defensive in nature, because I, don't, I wouldn't say Conte's system is defensive, but I just think it is one that is very compact. Um, is it because they're so used to falling back into this compact shape that maybe they just find this, that's their security blanket. They go back into that natural shape when actually what Conte wants and Stellini wants is for them to use that as their base or their springboard to launch into more braver sweeping attacks using the width. But for some reason, they just get stuck in the original compact system it's meant to be when they're defending. Um, I just can't. I don't know. What do you think it is? I, I, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm actually at the stage. I'm struggling to find answers for why they keep doing it. I think you're probably right in terms of what you're saying with the likes of having Jose Mourinho, Antonio Conte, now Stellini in charge. You are, you know, defensively minded managers. Maybe then you know. Don't forget given, Nuno. And Nuno, yeah, can't forget about <laughs> Nuno. Can't forget Nuno. He'll no. get very disappointed that because you are playing that way at times then yeah naturally you may just slip into that even when you shouldn't be uh but i don't know i mean it's four years now it just constantly keeps happening it's even when like jose Mourinho said before he's not telling them to do that it's just something they naturally do so maybe it is just from having worked with these you know defensively minded uh managers but there's a time and a place to do that, to go and sit back, especially if like, you're winning against, say, Arsenal, or Man City, Liverpool, Man United. But you just don't do it against you know your teams down there. There's been a number of opportunities when Spurs have had really good chances to go and kill a game off, and they've not. They've sat back, and it's cost them. And yeah, it just cost them again. And hopefully, with a new manager coming in this summer, that'll be the end of it. But maybe if, if you've got a lot of the same players, then will it keep happening? Well, this is it. You know, those who quite rightly could say that it's the players, it's the same players who have been the constant in it all. Yeah, maybe it doesn't matter who the manager is. Because like I say, 
that was why I didn't really want to mention it because it does slightly kill my point, is that towards the end in the last, maybe in 2019 is probably the best way to look at it, I guess, in Poch's final calendar year, they did start to sit back a fair few times, despite that, that definitely not being the system they were meant to play. Um, it's mad. And for me, if you're a team that are... One nil up, you've just scored a goal in your own stadium, and at that point, the fans were behind them, um, and you're against one of the teams that are struggling at the bottom of the table. You go for their throat. You absolutely show no mercy, and you pile in on them and try to add a second goal. And instead, they just like retreated back to the edge of their area and just allowed Bournemouth to keep trying to come forward. And it was, it's weird. It's such a... You know, we've heard the word anti-football used before, but it's almost like the players are deciding to play that anti-football if, if that's what we're led to believe. And I, I don't understand it. I, I'm finding more questions about Tottenham Hotspur um, in recent years than I think I've ever had from over the decades um, that I've, you know, covered them. And as a fan before that, um, I, I just... It's mind-boggling some of the things that happened. And, and this is exactly what happened. I mean... Stellini after the game, honestly, he looked like a defeated man. He looked so... This is kind of how we saw Conte a couple of times before he absolutely went off in one in the final press conference. But in the ones before, this is what Stellini was like. He looked like a man that had tried everything and still couldn't get these players kind of getting to do what he wanted. Um, it was it was mad because you get that second goal. And, you know, they had a couple of chances. I mean, Sonny put Kane through for a decent chance. Um, Sonny himself went on a great run and, and forced the keeper into a, a save. Uh, ball was going into the roof of the net. But I'm sorry, that's the game you put out of sight by half time. If you score in the, was it, the 10th minute, something like that, it was quite early on the goal. You put that game out of sight. You shouldn't be relying on having to try and scrape a late goal to either equalise or, or win that game. It's... Yeah, Spurs, I think we can continue to mock it, but that to dare is to do motto just seems the most ridiculously um, <laughs> out of place motto right now because there's no, no daring, there's no doing. It's to, to sit back and don't really should probably be the motto. It's just so infuriating. Um, and it is partly responsible for why the, the fans are getting so fed up. You know, there's partly that. There's partly, obviously, it's, it's higher than that. It's the owners. It's the chairman. But I do think there's also this massive element of paying big, big money every week for their tickets to go and watch a team that are not in even trying to entertain them um, or trying to to show any kind of attacking, attractive football. Um, you know, which I know, even though they drew and that they may have fluffed their, their title chances, potentially the Arsenal game, but just watching some of the patterns of play that Arsenal are playing with right now. And this is a team that they finished below Spurs last year. Yeah, this is not a team that have been like dominating at the top of the thing, have built this amazing legacy of football or anything. They're not like Man City who have paid incredible sums to get these wonderful players that play wonderful football. Arsenal, and I know Spurs fans won't want to hear this, but Arsenal are playing the kind of football that Spurs really should be playing. There's no reason why Spurs shouldn't be playing that kind of football. Patterns of play, players overlapping, you know, little moves where someone dummies the ball because they know there's a player right behind them bursting through. And Spurs do none of that. It's so safe, predictable football a lot of the time. 
Um, and that's why they struggle to even break down teams that are down the bottom of the league. Um, you know, I was looking at it. I don't know if I've, I've got it to hand, but I was thinking that they, uh, they're they really struggling with teams down the bottom at the moment. It's like a massive thing right now. Um, oh, here it is. I wrote it down. Um, so in the last two months alone, they've lost to Bournemouth, Leicester City and Wolves, and they've drawn against Southampton and Everton. And they're the kind of games against those teams down the bottom that, what, a couple of months, three months ago, we would have said, oh, yeah, that fixture schedule, that's the time they need to build up some momentum. And they've done completely the opposite. They've absolutely destroyed their own momentum by fluffing all of these games. Um, yeah, mad team to report on. And I can only imagine sitting there among the crowd, it must be just, just ridiculous to, to continue to watch this team. And there's still Leeds and Crystal Palace who are down yeah. there in the bottom half. They're still to come uh, later in the season in May. So, yeah, certainly no guarantees of three points when it comes to Tottenham playing against teams down there. I said in the previous pod that you can't underestimate Bournemouth. They'd won three of the past yeah. five games coming into, uh, into this fixture. Play some good football as well. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, all three of the goals, really, really well-taken finishes. Yeah. Not good from a Tottenham perspective to concede, no. but from a Bournemouth one, really nice, neat finishes. First two good dinks from, was it Vina and then Solanke and then yeah. uh, Utara. What a finish that yeah. was. It's cut in, just have composure in the area. Final minute and yeah, uh, good finish. But as I was saying, not good at all from a Tottenham perspective and it's just it's killing them really at the moment because with Newcastle losing they could have drawn level on points with them in the Champions League race you know given Spurs don't do gifts honestly Spurs do not accept gifts they're, they're very good at giving them they're very generous hosts but they will not if someone offers them something they will slap that hand away i mean how many times this season have they had the chance to go third or or back into the top four and they've just haven't taken it it's mad so many times i think southampton won that was a chance to go third wasn't it with manchester united in fa cup action you know past that opportunity up past another opportunity this weekend you you just don't know if i'm there it's crazy right shall we discuss the goals anyway Yes. What do you want to start with, the Bournemouth ones, or should we go with Sonny's? Um, yeah, well, I mean, Sonny's one, it, it's kind of, like we say, it's it's another link-up with Perisic, uh, which is a good thing. It shows that the two of them are starting to finally get on the same wavelength. You know, that's both both times. Obviously, that you could argue last week's is a very simple pass on Perisic, and Sonny's done all the hard work. But actually, this time, it was the other way around. I felt that Longley, lovely ball down the left into the path of Perisic, Perisic goes on a driving run, knows that Sonny's there, cuts it back into his path. And yeah, the finish took a little bit of a kind of a deflection off the defender on the ground. But I, uh, Bournemouth might say that that made it impossible for the keeper. I, I think probably it still would have gone in anyway. But no, that was a nice goal. Um, it just it just kind of set up something that never came, unfortunately. It looked like, okay, lovely football. And I thought actually Perisic was one of the positives for me in the game. There weren't too many positives to take, but I did feel that he was one. I've got his stats actually somewhere on um, Perisic. Actually, tell you what, we'll talk about Perisic a bit later. We'll talk about the goal itself now. Um, and it was a good finish. 
But then, unfortunately, yeah, um, Longley went off injured. It looked like a muscle injury. Kind of seemed to pull up as he was going into a challenge. Someone I saw suggesting on Twitter that they thought it looked more like an ankle injury. But to me, it seemed like he was holding his, his, his leg and his muscle. But you can only, fingers crossed, hope it's a... Um, you know, like a precautionary thing rather than anything actually was properly damaged. But it affected Spurs massively because they lost a lot of the balance to the team. Romero obviously was shifted over to the left-hand side. Davinson Sanchez came on, although I'm sure he's probably wishing he never did. Um, I'm sure some Spurs fans would say they maybe wish he didn't. But it totally messed around with the balance of the team. And And of course, with Longley as well, as he showed for the goal... He's got that ability to pick out a pass or sling in a cross, and they lost that completely. Um, and it wasn't obviously long after he went off that they conceded the second goal, which, yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on the... Sorry, they conceded the, the, the second goal of the game, the first uh, Bournemouth goal. What was your thoughts on that goal? Yeah, not a good one to concede at all. I know, obviously, Sanchez miscontrol that pass from Dyer, a really simple pass uh, a simple ball to control went through his legs uh, but still gave it to Porro and I know Sanchez has come in for a bit of criticism obviously a lot of criticism <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would say that goal is on Porro for me uh, I agree. it's, it's I agree. not like it was a hospital ball from Sanchez and he's put Porro in an awful lot of trouble Porro's taking a touch could easily pass it on, but he's taken another couple of touches, lost it, and then Bournemouth have capitalised on, like I was saying, really, really good finish. But from a Tottenham perspective, you won't want to watch that goal back again. It just wasn't, wasn't a good one at all. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there's it's almost just kind of been made out that Sanchez put him in trouble. I don't think that's the case. I think Porro... Had all the time in the world to he could have even passed it back to Sanchez. You know, he didn't he didn't even need to do what he did and, and he just took the extra touch and, and we've seen him do it a couple of times to good effect, where he suddenly drives off on a run infield. But at this point it was like, no, there are three players kind of vaguely near you. You don't need to kind of almost go towards them. Um yeah, obviously we're going to talk about Poro. Poro got his fair share of abuse as well, so I'm not going to heap any more on him. But I do think in that case, Sanchez, because of the clumsy attempt to control it to begin with, um, and obviously what came later for him, I think a lot of, I guess, hate came his way because of what came later especially as well. Whereas I just think for me that, that was on Poro. That's knocked up the pitch. That's pass simply to anyone else on the pitch and I don't think it's an issue but he went on a dribble on the edge of his own box really which you give the ball away there then you're very likely to end up happening what happened um it's yeah it's, it's basic kind of um one defending one 101 isn't it really it's it's not muck around with the ball outside your own box um so yeah yeah not not his finest moment at all yeah, the second one, uh, obviously Sanchez in the headlines again for that. Marcus Tavernier got on the wrong side of him, uh, started to drive into the box. Sanchez got a, a touch, prodded it into the path of Solanke, but as I was saying to you before the mm. podcast, it's one of these where... On another if, day. On another day, if there's not a player running into the area, a dangerous area as well in the box, 
then you're thinking, hey, it's a good interception. So he stopped having it from obviously going through. But because he's prodded it into the path of Solanke, then yeah, it's it's not a good one from uh, Sanchez. And obviously Tottenham fans, you know, made the feelings pretty clear to him after that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> another one what wasn't a good one for Sanchez. No. No, there's there there's there's no one else but Sanchez to blame yeah. in that scenario. I mean, he just completely lost. Um, ta- how do you pronounce it? Ta- Tavernier. Tavernier, yeah. Tavernier, Tavernier. I've been calling him Taverner the whole time. Tavernier. Um, yeah, he completely lost him behind him, um, and then suddenly seemed shocked when he like emerged with the ball. That turned him inside out. But yeah, he did actually manage to get the ball, which is the most frustrating thing. Um, because maybe if he hadn't, maybe we just would have gone into a, a cul-de-sac and not actually got the ball out. Um, and Eric Dyer was kind of completely wrong-footed by that as well. He came across rather than sticking with Solanke. And yeah, like you say, another really nice dinked finish over the keeper and Romero sliding in. Romero kind of turns and like, it's almost like shouting at Lloris. And it's like, I just think it was a really good finish. I don't think it is. I don't think Romero or Larice really could have much blame in that scenario. Um, it was, yeah, it was unfortunately all on Sanchez, and that was unfortunately when all hell broke loose because the Tottenham fans. Uh, I mean, we've got to talk about it. We've got to talk about the booze. We've got to talk about the whole atmosphere. So apparently, I didn't hear this, but apparently. There were suggestions that there were some boos when he came on as well, Sanchez for Longley. It's a difficult one because I don't really know. The only other sub that we thought maybe could have taken place was Tanganga. Um, but let's be honest, I wouldn't say Jaffet Tanganga is probably the most popular player among the Spurs fan base in the world right now either, rightly or wrongly. Um, I mean, I, unless, unless you put Sar on and... You went to a back four at that point. It's a it's a difficult one. I mean, Stellini said later on that you know he didn't feel like slinging an extra attacker on at that point when you're already one nil up would be the right time to do that. And I, I'm kind of with him on that because I think I still think that I know everyone's calling for a back four. A lot of people are calling for a back four. I still don't think they got the players to properly do that in a normal match situation. I think if you're chasing a game, fair enough. Perisic and Poro as fullbacks, yeah, you've got to go for it. I would not trust, especially Perisic, to be just a natural fullback. You know, it's not what he's ever been. He's been a winger that's converted to a wingback. He's not a guy that you'd really want to sit there, you know, let's say going to Newcastle next week. I would not want to see a back four with Perisic on the left-hand side. And, and to be honest, even Poro now at the moment, while he's adjusting to the Premier League, I think it's a big ask for him to be a natural fullback. So yeah, I kind of agreed with that. But then, oh my goodness, after that goal, um, I'll be honest, I've I've never seen that as a reporter. You know, I've been a reporter, it'll be 20 years this year. I've been to so many matches up and down the country. I've never seen a team, uh, sorry, I've never seen fans boo their own player after a mistake with every touch he made from then on. I've never seen that. Look, I 100% understand where the frustration has come from. I think it's a frustration at the club. I think it's a frustration at decisions Daniel Levy's made. I think it's a frustration at 
how the club has found itself in the position it is now. I think it's a frustration at certain players that uh, the fans feel that just, you know, are still at the club and maybe should have been upgraded over the years. I get all of that. But for it to manifest in the form of booing a player, and let's be honest, Darren Sanchez does give his all. It's not like he's a player who just isn't putting in the effort. You know, I've seen players booed that aren't putting in the effort. I mean, we've seen Tongi booed as he wouldn't get off the pitch after being substituted because he just was, you know, just didn't want to. Um, I've seen Hossam Ghali booed after throwing the Spurs shirt down on the ground and disrespecting it. Um, you know, and we've seen players booed sometimes when they've signaled their intention that they wanted to go off and leave the club. It's like, okay, I kind of get that. But to boo someone's every touch after they've made a mistake, I can't see the positive. I can't see the benefit. I've had some people tell me, oh, but, you know, the whole point is is to get him off the pitch. And it worked because he was later substituted. But uh, that's that for me, it's a very unpleasant and uncomfortable way of going about that. It really is. And then the huge cheer when Dan Juma did come on for him. I mean, Stellini did make it very clear that that was the move he was going to make anyway. It was a tactical move to try and get the game back. It wasn't like he was trying to save Sanchez from the crowd or anything like that. That was the move he was going to make. He wasn't going to take Di Romero off to go to a back four. It would have always been Sanchez. Or probably would have been Longley had Longley been on the pitch. Um, but yeah, it was... Oh, it was not a good look for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club at all. And it's something that I've seen across social media, other clubs' fans talking about it. Um, like I say, I can constantly keep saying this. I understand where the frustration comes from, but it doesn't mean it was a good look for football fans to be booing one of their own players just because he's made a mistake. You can not like him as a player. Um, you can say that he is accident-prone or, or mistake-prone. Look, my personal views on Sanchez, people are probably well aware. First season, I thought he was tremendous alongside Jan Vertonghen. I thought it was a fantastic debut season in a new league. I thought he did really well. Then from that point on, I almost felt that as Jan Vertonghen started to age a bit, got more injuries, was in and out of the team, I think so Davinson Sanchez suffered a bit as well. And I don't think he's been helped by the fact that he, you know he's lobbed in there once every, what, 10 games as well. And when we see Sanchez play a run of games, you do see a better version of Sanchez. And I think, you know, he had this sort of run last season at the start of this where they were getting clean sheets every time he was in the team. Um, and he was loving that. You know, he was very much kind of making a point of that on social media as well. And yeah, if you're chucked in there suddenly, you're not going to be sharp. But he is a guy that we've said this, even at the best of times, has one mistake in him a game. And it's whether that leads to something or not. But that's still, for me, I still can't, uh, not that it's up to me to endorse or anything uh, that, that people do. You know, they pay, as I said earlier, the some of the highest ticket prices in in football to watch their team. So they've got every right to voice their opinion. But I, I, it's not something I'd do myself. And I can't see the positive. I think it'd be quite interesting, actually, as you not having any connection to Spurs other than reporting on them as, as a fan of another club. How did it look to you from, from as I wouldn't say you're on the outside because you're reporting on them week in, week out, but as someone that who's, you know, everyone knows as a kid, I grew up as a Spurs fan. They are my club. They were my club. 
Um, unfortunately, whatever they do to me will always be my club. <laughs> um, but for you, looking in from another club perspective, how does how did that look? It's it's not a good look at all, uh, really. Uh, I understand that people pay the hard-earned money uh, for these tickets, for the season tickets, you know, and they can vent and let the frustrations out and, you know, they've got a right to say what they want. But to boo a player every touch is just so wrong. What what positives come from it? I I just can't see. It's counterproductive. Don't do anything for the player. Don't do anything for the team. Uh, and I know a lot of these players that maybe the club are thinking of getting in as well. If they yeah. look at that and how the fans can turn on you like that. Yeah, exactly. But in terms of Sanchez, when he's been booed, he's going to be absolutely petrified when the ball comes to him. I said it when yeah. the same happened against uh, Leeds when it was Emerson on the receiving end of the boos. And, you know, every time you touch the ball, you're going to be booed. Any little mistake, the same's going to happen. And I know a lot of people have been saying, well, he's paid X amount of money, he'll go home and forget about it. I don't think he'll ever forget about that, what happened on on Saturday. And yeah, uh, it's just one of these. I just can't see the positives from it at all. I just think it's so so wrong uh, I understand the frustrations from the fans at the moment because what's happening on the pitch isn't good but it just has no benefit at all and like you're saying what does it show and to the other players who could potentially come in and some of the rest of his teammates nah, yeah, it's, teammates, it's, definitely. it's just not a good look uh, for me at all and hopefully we, we don't see that happen again yeah, and I mean, the one thing about the press box is that we are so close to the dugouts. We kind of look down on the dugouts and, and to see him, ah, oh, that moment he came off and he sat down and he honestly, he looked so devastated at what had just happened. Um, it's one of those where we don't want to suggest that he was emotional or crying or anything like that, but obviously he did put his hands to his face. He had his hands over his eyes for a little bit. He may, he may not have been. That, that might not be whatever, but he just looked like a man who wanted the ground to open up and swallow him whole kind of thing. Um, and, you know, I think people sometimes dehumanise footballers. Um, they see them as the people kind of paid to go out there in front of them and entertain them. Um, they see them as, I don't know, some people may even just see them merely as the people they see on the telly or the people that they play in their FIFA games and, and, and football manager and things like that. And they almost become characters rather than humans. But, you know, Davidson Sanchez, you know, he'll have gone home last night, uh, sorry, on uh, Saturday night, and they've gone home to his wife. He's got a little son. And I'm sorry, but there's no way he'll be sat back thinking, oh, well, I've got millions. I'm, I've seen that argument used, you know. He earns so much money. Oh, I'm sure he'll weep into his wads of cash. No. No, he'll have gone home and he'll be absolutely devastated. Um, you know, I remember reading, I think the only kind of comparison I've been able to find with this is Ibue at Arsenal. Uh, the unfortunately named Ibue um, was booed, I think, by his own fans in a similar-ish fashion. And there was an interview with him after, like, I don't know if it was years later, 
where he just admitted he was so devastated that they turned on him that they didn't even want to go into training. He just honestly, he just was so scared of making any more mistakes and, and upsetting anyone and felt worthless. And it's, I just, I think this is the thing. I think people, they are so dehumanized footballers. Um, and this suggestion that because he earns, you know, the money that footballers earn, that suddenly Sanchez, you can just, just do whatever you like. It doesn't matter. I, I don't like that thinking um, because, you know, yeah, of course, I've seen people saying, oh, but if I went into my workplace, I'd expect criticism if I made mistakes. But if you're in your workplace, you'd have your manager would tell you off or some of your teammates would say that's not right. You wouldn't have, let's say it was half the stadium. I don't know if it was half the stadium, but let's say it was. So you wouldn't have 30,000 people gather at your workplace and boo everything you did. It's not the same. It's it's not the same scenario whatsoever. Yes, they're paid very well, but that doesn't lessen the impact of having that happen. I can't even imagine what that would be like. You know, you and I played that match at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, uh, like the kind of be-on-the-pitch match. Last night. We, we got to play in a completely empty stadium. There was no pressure on us whatsoever. I can't even for the life of me imagine what it would be like to playing on there, everyone booing everything you do. Yeah, God, it would be a nightmare. Like, I mean, I'm sure when it's opposition fans, it's probably a bit different. Maybe it steals you a bit and you can kind of use that to galvanize yourself. You know, we see Harry Kane do it all the time. But my goodness, when it's the supporters who are meant to support you doing the same, oh, that, that was tough. It was so tough to watch. Like I said, I cannot stress enough. I understand where the frustration comes from because people get very annoyed as if you're telling them what to do. I'm not telling them what to do. They've got every right to have their say, have their opinion. I just personally, it's not what I would do. Um, and, you know, I've seen some people, one person tell me, oh, you know, you don't pay for your tickets. You get in for free and all that. I did. I used to go. I used to pay for all this. I have been in that position that these same fans are in. I've been in, in the years gone by. Before I was a reporter, I would do that. And it's not something I would have done then. So I can absolutely identify with the match-going fan at Tottenham. Um, yeah, and it was really weird on social media because you got quite a split afterwards. You got the people who were saying, oh, it's absolutely deserved. That's what you should have got. I'd have done the same if I was there kind of thing. Um, you know, you, you wonder how many people really would do that. There's a keyboard warrior aspect to it as well. But there is genuinely people who may have done exactly the same. But then I did notice there's a lot of people who were ashamed by it and we're really embarrassed by it. Um, it. It's fascinating. Well, I say it's fascinating. It's actually really sad because it's a club that I feel like the fan base is so fragmented as it already is. This was yet another thing that's like put a big old gaping chasm between the fans and, and kind of infighting. And it's just what's happening at Spurs right now. It's just a massive um, kind of display of, of what's going on right now where the, the club is in such a a messed up chaotic way that it's actually making uh, the fan base really quite toxic towards itself as well. It's turning in on itself. Um, uh, it's it's really awful. And 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 obviously Pedro Porro as well. It wasn't even just Davinson Sanchez. If you if you're not aware what happened with Pedro Porro, so after the game, Pedro Porro uh, was getting so much abuse, and when he kind of must have logged on and looked at what he'd been getting during the game as well, he deactivated his is all his social media accounts. And Pedro Porro is the most 
kind of he's a bit like Sergio Reguilon used to be. He's the most outgoing, kind of happy, always smiling person on social media. Is always like trying to kind of put out posts for the fans and all this sort of stuff. So for him to deactivate his accounts, it looks like today he's thankfully brought them back online. But for a new signing who everyone was calling for, a £40 million new signing, three months ago most people wanted and already had to deactivate his social media accounts, it speaks so badly about what's happening at this football club right now. You know, again, I can only go back to the point earlier of, any perspective player looking at coming in would be looking at that and saying, right, well, there's a guy on the pitch who's getting his every touch booed right now. Um, and he's giving his all. He's just making like mistakes. And he's getting booed for it, which obviously... Oh. And then Pedro Porro, new signing, still adapting to the Premier League. He's only been there three months. He's got a t- he's got a strength, and of course he has. You can see that. There was In the final goal, he, he leapt up for the ball and he was knocked off the... It was too easy for the... I can't remember who he was up against in the aerial challenge, but that's what he'll fix in this preseason. He will strengthen. They all have to adjust to the Premier League. So to, for him to get that to such a degree, just three months in, that he had to take his social media accounts offline... And he's not the first to have done this. You know, we should stress this. There's been other players. I mean, Bergvine switched off comments. Emerson Royale switched off comments on his social media. I mean, Emerson Royale got booed and he got cheered when he went off, you know, earlier in the season as well. Unfortunately, it is becoming a theme. Um, Yes, it may be as a consequence of everything that's going on at the club and, and the way it's run, of course. But my goodness, it doesn't feel right. It really, uh, it's not good. And I'm not blaming the fans for the problems that Spurs have got right now. It's far bigger than that, and it begins far higher up at the club. But as a package, it's not a pleasant experience right now, Tottenham Hotspur. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A -a one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. No, it's it's toxic, to be honest. The thing is, it could potentially even get worse over the coming weeks, yeah. given... The run of fixtures coming up. If there's no movement, well, that in man terms you get of, could be horrible. Yeah, in terms of a manager, uh, yeah. Hopefully things change, but it could really, really be a long end to the season for Tottenham if uh, results and things carry on the way they are at the moment. Right, as we're now halfway through the pod, Ali, do you want to let everyone know about the benefits of using NordVPN? Yep. For anyone that's not aware, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN, and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. 
NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world, and that means there's no buffering, there's no lagging. You can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. Something that I often use, it's a service I used even before they were sponsors on our podcast, which is why it was great when they came on board, because there's plenty of times when I've been off on a holiday or covering Spurs here, there, and everywhere across the world. And you want to access the things that you are able to watch and you pay for at home. But for some reason, um, there seems to be restrictions in place that don't allow you to do that when you're in a different country, when, quite frankly, you pay for it and you should be able to watch it. So using Nord, you can switch your location of your device to thinking it's back home and you can access all these things. And not only that, but the security levels of Nord are fantastic. Um, and they can prevent anyone, if you're using public Wi-Fi, of getting in and, and taking anything off your device you really don't want them to get to. Um, yeah, and not only that, but the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. That's because you can purchase streaming services or booking from other countries at a much cheaper rate. So, for example, you can book flights from other countries, and that can be cheaper too. So it means that you're paying out for Nord, but you're saving money overall. There's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So after Davinson Sanchez exited the pitch, Arnold Danjuma came on. Uh, with Christian Cellini obviously making an attacking change with Tottenham chasing the game. We've seen Dan Juma getting minutes here and there uh, against Bournemouth, got 32 minutes, uh, which is obviously his longest appearance in a Tottenham shirt. And he did have an impact when he came on at Brighton. And I think it's fair to say he did exactly the same when he came on against his former club. Yeah, he... um... He he's got he got a lot of energy, a lot of points to prove. I think as well. Um, it was, I think he was even more effective when they went to their mad manic um, formation when Richarlison came on as well. Um, yeah, if people weren't aware, we it took us ages to work out what the system actually was because the difficulty with with formations is they look different in and out of possession. And it's very tough sometimes, especially when they've they're scrambling and have thrown uh, together something quickly. And so what we worked out at the end it was was technically a four two four, but in essence it was like a four one one four because Harry Kane of all people, um, which might surprise some, the club's all time leading goal scorer, was put back in midfield, uh, but he was put in like an attacking role in front of Hoybier. The reason behind that, obviously, and this is a damning indictment, I think, of the squad that Spurs have, is that Harry Kane really is their only creative playmaking midfielder. Um, you know, you could argue that because says he can play that role, but we've never really seen him play through the centre like that. Um, so, yeah, Harry Kane sat back, and then suddenly we had the four up front of uh, Sonny, Richarlison, Dan Juma, and Kulusevski with... Um, with Poro and Perisic down the right, uh, down the two flanks as well, and it was, oh, it was mad. I mean, in the time before they made that switch, Poro was kind of flitting in and out of being the third um, centre back in a back three, and then obviously when it went to a back four, he then was able to push back up again further. And yeah, in terms of Danjuma, 
it was kind of like you say, it was more of the same, really. Lots of energy, lots of pressing. There was one moment he tracked back, made a really good tackle, just made a general nuisance of himself. Um, and then his finish was lovely. It was a really nice finish. It got a slight deflection, which like really made sure it went in the corner. Um, Perisic again involved, very long throw that Richardson jumped for, and I think the defender got there ahead of him, knocked it down. Dan Juma's caught it really crisply, um, and it's flown in off the defender into the uh, far corner. Bournemouth not happy because they felt Harry Kane was in an offside position, putting off the goalkeeper. I'd say that would have been harsh to being given. Um, I think maybe ever so slightly partially obscuring the shot. But if I'm honest, if the keeper had seen it, I don't think he could have done much about it anyway, if he had full, full vision on it, because it flew straight inside that left-hand post. I can't see how the goalkeepers get into that. Um, And I presume that's why VAR hasn't overruled it. It didn't touch Kane, so obviously he's not in in play in that sense. Um, so yeah, I mean it didn't it didn't matter in the end anyway. But for Dan Juma, it did matter, um, and I thought it was quite interesting after the game. He he finally got to do an interview. Um, I've noticed that the club interviews they're letting a few things go through that you'd be a bit like, oh, that's interesting. And it happened with Sonny last week where. Sonny started to talk about the fact that he, the tactics don't really allow him to get into the position to where he does his best work. I was a bit surprised that that one kind of wasn't like, you know, like the government redacting it, like, like oh, quick, quick, cut that out. Um, and it was a bit the same with Dan Juma because he was slightly, I mean, I might have the, the quotes here. He, he wasn't kind of shying away from the fact that he really wasn't happy about not getting chances to play. Um he said, yeah, here it is. About the goal, he said, it's something for me to build on personally. Obviously, I've been waiting to get a chance. As disappointing as the result is for me today, for me, it was also disappointing not to start or get the minutes that you're hoping for. But for me as a player, it's the same situation as we're in in a team after the game. In football, in the hard times, it's even more important to stick together, find the character, to get the motivation, to work twice as hard. And for me as a player, that's all I'll try to do um and yeah and then he talks about scoring the goal as well and yeah it's good for him it's it does set up an interesting question for the Newcastle game I think and which way they go which we'll we'll talk about towards the end no doubt um he needs to get a lot more fitness I think before he's uh he's gonna have to really work on that this week if he is going to start at St James's Park because you could see yeah, I mean, he played what like thirty nine minutes and all. I think I worked out as if you include the added time, um, but he did all right. He did fine. He, he was. We didn't really get a proper chance to look at him in the role he would play normally because, like I say, as soon as Richardson came on, he ended up being part of this four up front. It was. It was very. It was very unusual. It was. It was chaos for Spurs, but thankfully. Well, thankfully, it didn't matter in the end. But during that period, it was also chaotic for um, Bournemouth to deal with. Um, but yeah, it's for me with Dan Juma. He's one of he's a bit of a rarity at this in this squad at the moment. In that he's really confident, he's really positive now. He's scored a goal, and I think in a squad that is going to be low on morale, I think you have to harness that. Um, and I think. If if someone is in like and Sonny as well is another one. Sonny's in good form now, and I think you you have to just harness any little bits you can get to to build upon. Um, and if that means giving Dan Juma another go, yeah, yeah, go for it. No, it, it was um, a, another bright little cameo from him. I'd be putting him in the starting eleven 
at Newcastle yeah. on on Sunday. I thought really, really good cameo from him. Obviously gave the team energy, had a couple of shots, I think a couple of crosses as well. Uh, he put in and you know, really good finish from him. Uh, mm. Like you're saying, I think that would be extremely harsh if that would have been disallowed by VAR. Keeper's yeah. getting nowhere near that anyway. And maybe if he didn't get a touch, would it have hit Kane? Then maybe not have gone in. But it went in and it's just crazy that Dan Juma, it was his sixth appearance. He's now won two goals for Tottenham, the same amount as yeah. Richarlison and Dane Kulosevsky. He scored and, more Premier League goals than Richarlison. Yeah, a meagre amount of minutes for Dan Juma since he's uh, come to the club. He sh- should have been used so much more. Plenty of opportunities as well when Tottenham have been chasing the goal. And I think he should on Saturday against Bournemouth. Why they should have turned to him a lot more. It's crazy that he's got, what, seven games left before his loan spell comes to an end. Uh, yeah. Yeah, hopefully we get to see uh, a lot more of him uh, in the running. Uh, so I think he, he definitely deserves uh, a chance in the team. And it was also obviously good to see Richarlison come on after his recent injury. He got 15 minutes, put himself about as usual, had a goal ruled offside. <laughs> he's, he's really had some rotten luck when he's come to disallowed goals by VAR. Uh Fulham. He's getting a in, chance to rehearse his celebrations. Huh? Yeah, well, three times now, I think, <laughs> when Vin disallowed uh, Fulham in September, the one against Nottingham Forest last month, and then uh, on Saturday against Bournemouth. Took it really well as well, and he wasn't like he was offside. It was Dan Juma. Uh, so, yeah, he could come into Stellini's thinking as, as well for uh, this weekend at St. James's Park. I think something we've not really touched upon. What we need to is, obviously, there were a lot of chants uh, again at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium uh, regarding Daniel Levy and Maurizio Pochettino. I think the fans made it, the feelings perfectly loud and clear once again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's every week now. Um, do you know what? I think I'd actually say, and this is not to, to do down either of the chants, but I actually think the Pochettino chants are probably more problematic for Daniel Levy right now. I think the Daniel Levy, the chants against him, you know, we want Levy out ones, it's become a bit of a staple. I think that's something he's now going to have to get used to. He was he was there definitely on Saturday. I'm not sure whether he was there at Brighton. I know he's been abroad, but he was back. Um, and look, you know... <laughs> There's no getting away from the fact that, you know, it, it's a club that feels like it's lacking in leadership and direction at the moment. And that is his, that's his role. That, that's his job. He is supposed to be the leader directing Tottenham Hotspur. And it does feel um, a little bit rudderless at the moment as well. And it really doesn't reflect well on him at all. So I think those chants, I think, you know, it, it absolutely has to be accepted and part and parcel of what's happening right now. But like I mean, like I say, the Pochettino stuff—that for me is quite fascinating because at the moment it doesn't seem that you know Poch is a uh, how do I put this is um, a pressing person of interest for Spurs right now. I know he's one that will come into consideration when they look at stuff, but from everything I understand, 
Spurs are kind of trying to keep their options open until the end of the season so they can talk to a wider range of candidates and, I guess, do their due diligence or whatever you want to call it. Um, but the more the crowd call for Poch, and I, I put this in my talking points yesterday, is like it almost forces Levy into a corner because it gets to the stage where that coupled with the chance against him and the growing discontent with how the football club's being run and its direction or lack of direction, you know, does Pochettino become the only viable way of trying to get the fans off of Levy's back? Does he have to, you know, there's always been this sense for me that those around Daniel Levy look to protect him and shield him from, you know, the things that are said about him. And, maybe it's going to get to the point where the only thing that will lift the Spurs fans is, or certainly not all of them, because I don't think everyone wants him back, but certainly I'd say your average match-going fan probably wants Poch back, I would say. I could be wrong, but certainly whenever I talk to Spurs fans just on the street or anyone kind of stops a chat, the, the question I get asked every time is pretty much, when's Poch coming back? And it very much seems like that's the, the kind of the current mood. And that's not to say whether that's the right or wrong move. You know, there's other, so many other sides to this. It's whether Poch even wants to come back. Does he want to come to the club right now in the state it's in? Does he want to come to a club that's very different structurally to the one that he left as well? Um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done at Spurs to kind of get them back to any semblance of uh, success, I guess, and then take them, yet yeah, let alone take them to another level. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's kind of absolutely the be-all and, uh, sorry, uh, cut and dried that if Spurs were to ring Mauricio Pochettino, that he'd go, yeah, all right, Dan, I'll be there in a minute kind of thing. I don't think that's actually the case either. So, but it does create this really interesting scenario of, you know, does Levy get forced into making a decision? And I was trying to think of the ones, the biggest, the only time I can really think when he did that in the past was 22 years ago when George Graham, obviously, was quite unpopular. He was a former Arsenal man. Fans didn't have a lot of patience for, for his football and what they were doing. And so he turned, he brought in Glenn Hoddle. Club legend, you know, he's the man. And, and the fans loved the idea. Time, obviously, will show us that Hoddle didn't really do anything. And funnily enough, it was George Graham who won only the Spurs' second trophy in, like, the last quarter century, albeit before Levy came in as well. Um I mean, some fans have argued that, you know, maybe Conte appointment was similar. I don't know about that. I still think that's a that's a glamour appointment for me. I think that, that Levy's done that with the eyes on the silverware and, and all of this, and maybe more so for him and the club than the fans, perhaps. I don't know. I could, I could be being unfair there. But yeah, it, it really does make this fascinating scenario of, of, of what does he do and like, you know, Poch on social media I saw yesterday. I mean, I don't know if you've seen on his Instagram account, he like did this little photo of just his feet sat up, like just his feet on a deck chair in the sunshine going, just chilling. And it's like, when would Mauricio Pochettino ever normally put out <laughs> social media posts like that? And it's a bit, I, I do wonder whether there's a little bit of mischievousness in there or mischief um, of like, yeah, it's all going wrong at Spurs. But I'm here just chilling if you want to give me a bell. And it's just like, I'm sure, I'm sure he doesn't mean that. But my goodness, it does seem that way. Um, yeah, Spurs are a funny club. 
Funny club. I mean, the key thing that I keep getting from anyone I talk to involved in this managerial search is that Spurs want to make sure the key aspect of whoever they end up appointing is that Spurs is their first choice. They want to be Tottenham Hotspur manager. I think there was a feeling that with uh, Conte, that he kind of was doing Spurs a bit of a favour, helping them out on his way through almost. uh, And let's be honest, there was always a sense that Conte did feel he was better than Spurs. I I, I always got that impression. Uh, I think a lot of other people covering the club did. I'm, I'm sure... You know, you probably felt slightly that way as well. And it's putting words in your mouth. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and I think the feeling now is they don't want to hire someone who for Spurs are the fullback option if they can't get another job elsewhere. And that was always the thing with Conte. It was a bit like his second this season. He kind of felt like he stuck around because there were no better offers out there. Um, and, and the same with, you know, having not really been particularly happy about you know, talks broke down over trying to get him the summer of 2021 and he only rocked up three months later because there wasn't really anything out there for him and he wanted to get back into coaching. So Spurs want the opposite of that. They want someone that really wants to be the Spurs manager, really wants to, I guess, build a bit of a legacy kind of thing. Um, That's easier said than done. You know, I think some of the top names out there, you know, when you've got the Chelsea job available, that's... uh, that's a hell of a, a choice if you know if, if that gets put to you as, as the first option and maybe Real Madrid, although it's not entirely certain now that um, Ancelotti is going. I think there's going to be a few big jobs in Italy. I think the PSG job may be up as well. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I, I, personally, I like the thinking behind that. I do like the fact that getting someone that really wants to be the Spurs manager and that is their, you know, every pore of their body is about um, succeeding at Spurs and that's their only thought. I mean, what, what do you think? What do you think on that? Is, is it restricting yourself or is it the way to go? It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Yeah, I think it could be restricting yourself in a way, but you want someone at the club who wants to manage Tottenham. And as you were saying, that wasn't always the impression Conte gave off. That He was just obviously refused to commit long-term his future to the club and that's not exactly what you want uh, as a chairman, as a supporter of Tottenham. Uh, I think there's some decent options out there, uh, most notably Maurizio Pochettino, given he's free and obviously not had the job since he left PSG, but it's going to be down to Daniel Levy uh, you know, to make this decision now and hopefully... 
it'll be the right choice. I think what makes things difficult is Chelsea are on the lookout for a manager as as well. Obviously, Chelsea parting with Graham Potter, they could potentially steal a march on Tottenham, whoever they want to uh, bring in. And yeah, there's going to be some top jobs in Europe up for grabs as well. So that might make things difficult. You just want someone at Tottenham who... Yeah, wants to be at the club first and foremost, understands the club, can get him back to playing attractive football uh, because that's what everyone wants to see. It's, I mean, we've said this over the past few years, he's uh, just got to be the right choice. And, you know, things maybe haven't gone as Daniel Levy has planned over the past few years with his appointments. And this one's critical now. Just got to get this one right. Yeah, absolutely. And what's really interesting is that the club are actively really denying anything that suggests that there might be a leading candidate. Any report that comes out is a very active kind of uh, making all media aware, no, this isn't the case and kind of thing. And I think think there's a wariness of repeating the absolute farce of 2021 when we knew there were so many different people they spoke to and then they ended up with Nuno, you know, who's, let's be honest, with no disrespect, he was about 25th choice on their list. He was. He wasn't even on their original list that they had before Paratici came in. Um, I think they're trying to avoid that. But let's be honest, try and deny that you've spoken to this manager or that when often they clearly have. It's not, it doesn't matter. What matters is the way to avoid being farcical is not to be farcical and just appoint the right person. Is it's to, again, come back to the motto, to dare is to do. Get out there, get the person you want, and, and bring them in. Um, if it's Pochettino, then it's Pochettino. Um, if it's not, if it's if it's a Nagelsmann, if you feel like you can get him, if it's um, anyone else, I deserve it, an Amarim. Um, so, this is one thing about it right now, is there are so many quite decent options. You know, even Potter, you know, we've spoken about this, is... I think a lot of fans would be maybe annoyed about the fact that it's another ex-Chelsea one, especially one who failed at Chelsea. But as you can, you know, guess he constantly says this and he's spot on. In 2021, people would have leapt at Potter as the Spurs boss. I I personally would have thought, I think for me, it was either him or Ten Hag. I feel like I remember saying at the time I would have loved to have had. Um, And I don't think that changes by the fact that he was clearly a very bad fit for the Chelsea model. He could be a much better fit for the the Spurs one, and you know sometimes being a little bit um, knocked down by a an experience isn't a lot of humbling. I guess is not the worst thing in the world. It allows you to properly reassess things and and look at different ways of doing things. You learn from it. There are so many out there that w- would be decent. Um, yeah, many more. Oh, Arn Slot. I really, honestly, the more I read about him, the more I really like the idea of him. And he's one of those where I think maybe those who haven't done their reading up on him might think, oh, he's no Poch and all this. But if you read about him, he, he's a lot of Poch similarities there in the way he plays and the way he kind of deals with his players. Um, and also having messed it up completely with Ten Hag two years ago, and left him hanging and never really pushing through it when he was, you know, quite willing to come by everything I was told. Maybe they look at another Dutch manager and think, well, let's not make the same mistake. And 
again. And now there's been some talk in the Netherlands that family-wise, a little bit like Conte, it might be slightly awkward with his daughter in secondary school. But there's aspects to that. You know, either, unfortunately, maybe she would have to move school. Obviously, being uh, Dutch, I'm sure her, her English is fantastic. You know, most Dutch people are fluent in English as well. Or, at the worst, it's a very quick flight back home to the Netherlands as well from Stansted Airport, which, you know, a bit like Conte used to hop back to Italy. It'd be even easier to go back to the Netherlands. Um, but you get the sense maybe with someone like Arna Slot, they would get that. They would get someone who would love, or you'd think, I don't want to be disrespectful to Feyenoord, and I could be wrong, or Feyenoord fans, but you would think for him it would be a step up and it would be a job that he would love to do. And it would be the, a club he'd want to manage. There's a lot of affinity in the Netherlands for Spurs, having, you know, done a lot of stuff in the past, talking to Martin Joel and his family and, and talking to people in the Netherlands for, for various bits I've written on him. You can sense there's a lot of affection. Someone once told me that apparently it's because uh, back in the old days when they were watching their black and white telly, uh, the Spurs kit looked like the Ajax, uh, not Ajax, sorry, the Netherlands kit. I can't remember if it was the Homer or Way one. I can't remember. But there's something um, that I was told once. So that's uh, one of the strange reasons why a lot of previous generation Dutch football fans have a bit of an affinity for Spurs. And obviously they used to play, used to play really good football <laughs> as well uh, back in the day. So yeah. So yeah, the managerial search <clears throat> is a fascinating one. It's um, I want to see where Daniel Levy goes with it. Please be the right choice because I'm I'm getting fed up with these podcasts where we're talking about rubbish football, collapses, chaos at the club. If if Daniel Levy isn't going to grab hold of the club and and steer it in the right direction, he needs to bring in someone beneath him that can do that, and that's why this decision is so crucial. Yeah, he just needs to get it right, especially for the podcast as well. We just can't keep having these negative podcasts. I mean, when I'm was the last time? Voice. When Honestly, was the last I'm time we so... had uh, two positive ones back to back? February uh, after Chelsea and West Ham in two thousand eighteen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, he's he's not good at all. Right. We'll move on from the managerial search now and we'll discuss Sunday's trip to St. James's Park where Tottenham take on Eddie Howe's Newcastle team. Uh, Tottenham could have gone into the game level on points with Newcastle on 56, but they passed up that opportunity against Bournemouth. So, you know, if Tottenham want to be playing Champions League football next season, they really do need to try and get the three points on Tyneside. Potentially, if it's a draw, that could open up uh, the opportunity for Aston Villa to come in, given their yeah. current form. So really, really important game for Tottenham. And given the setback on Saturday against Bournemouth, you just need to see uh, a reaction uh, first and foremost. But that's going to be really tough because Newcastle themselves need uh, a positive from the game after their 3-0 defeat at Villa Park. Previously, they'd won five on the bounce. Uh, to put themselves back into the top four. So it's going to be interesting coming up against Eddie Howe's side. They've done really, really well this season. Won at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in October and the Newcastle fans are going to be bang up for this game. They're going to be roaring them on and you know wanting them to get that three points because a place in the Champions League is there for them. It's there for the taking. Absolutely. I don't think we're going to find two different, more different atmospheres 
than at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium the other day and St James's Park as well. Um, it's going to be, oh, it's going to be a mad atmosphere. It's the kind of one where mentally Spurs are going to have to find some strength from somewhere. Um, uh, it's interesting what you're saying about Aston Villa because I was looking at their fixtures and they play so many of the big sides in the last few weeks. They absolutely could write their own kind of um, script for these remaining weeks. I, 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 I wouldn't entirely rule them out. If, if they can keep this run going, and funny enough, I've had some people have suggested to me, um, Rahman, one of the journalists that we uh, we see week in, week out, Spurs, he's actually was tipped Unai Emery as a, a really, it would be a perfect Spurs manager, which would be fascinating because obviously ex-Arsenal. Um, so I don't know how well that would go down, but I kind of know what he means in that he's got him playing very well and 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 you could see how what he would do with Tottenham as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, Newcastle, I mean, back to Newcastle, they're going to have to, they're going to want to show a reaction in front of their own fans. It's going to be loud. It's going to be noisy. Um, they know how big that game is. They can put Tottenham away, then kind of it gives them that big cushion doesn't it and that's what they'll want to do whereas Spurs pretty much it's the game isn't it that's the one if they lose that it's very very difficult then to see them having a chance because they are then really cut adrift from the top four and like you said earlier the rest of the season could be horrific in terms of the atmosphere if they're just kind of pottering around playing for a like sixth place, seventh place, you know, maybe hoping of a fifth as a dream. It's, yeah, it's not going to be good. It's really not going to be good at all. Um, so, yeah, huge match. I still don't know how much he can change it up because of injuries. Long lay makes it even worse. Um, be good to know the latest on him with the press conference this week. And, and obviously how close Ben Davies in particular is to coming back. I think he would seem, you'd think, out of everyone to be the, the closest to trying to come back. Um, you know, get him back, and then maybe you could think about having a, a back four. Maybe. Um, although it'd be interesting, you might end up with Perisic on the left hand side of a uh, front um, of a three four two three one, um, which would maybe uh, be a different way of looking at it. Um, yeah. It's so big. And the trouble is, there's so little confidence right now. And I think from the fans either, I'd be stunned if any fan thinks Spurs are going to go there to St. James's Park and come away with all three points, which is really sad because it's, it's, a, it's a place where in the past Spurs have actually, unless I'm mistaken, have got a pretty good record of going there and getting positive results. Um, One there on the but, last visit, didn't they? Yeah, was that Tongi? Tongi School? Yeah, last when Nuno was manager. Yeah. That seems like a lifetime ago, that match. <laughs> but was. That, that, that was last season. It was. It was. Uh, my, my beard wasn't grey then, um, or white. Yeah, um, yeah. with Tongi. I always remember famously way back in the day, Timotei Tuba scoring an amazing goal with his left foot. And uh, was it Bobby Robson? I think it might have even been Bobby Robson there. I think that he... was probably one of Bobby Robson's last games that yeah, season before feel, he got sacks. Because I feel I remember him saying something like, he's never going to hit a ball like that with his <laughs> wrong foot as well ever again in his life. And he was probably right, to be fair. But yeah, they, they've, had, they've gone there and they've had a few uh, decent results, but big ask this weekend. Eddie Howe's done. 
I know there's been a little bit of money spent. I wouldn't say it's the huge masses of money that you know, they've got the capability of, of spending in years to come, but I do think he's done a really, really good job. Um, and, and it's great to see. It's great to see um, a British kind of manager, you know, doing really well um, at a club that is, is a big club as well. I think some people maybe thought he would be a bit of a, almost an interim manager until they could get the glamour appointment. They wanted to head up the this rich project. But actually, I think he's come in and who knows, it could be their Pochettino. Um, but with the, the financial reserves to actually crack on into the level above. Um, yeah, huge match. We're both making the trip up there, aren't we, on uh, that Sunday. Early start for everyone, no doubt, getting up there because of the two o'clock kickoff, especially... If you're like me, you're getting on the train. It's a very early start. Um, hopefully, they give us something to uh, positive to uh, to discuss when we return. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how Tottenham line up in this game. I don't think they can do far at the back, as as you were saying there, mm. unless there's some positive news on the injury front. But then you've got to think, well, Ben Davis, if it is him to come back, he won't have played for a while, won't have the match. Yeah. Fitness is he in a position to start? I, I, you can't play Perisic at left back. Uh, he's, you know, he's a very attack-minded player. He spent the majority of his uh, career upfield. He's, he's not a left back, and especially if he's going to come up against someone like Miguel Almiron, who made his return from injury for Newcastle uh, at Aston Villa. I think that's a huge, huge gamble. And Perisic uh, played really well. I thought against. Bournemouth, probably one of his better games in the Tottenham shirt. Finally linking up with Son. It's just a shame it's taken about 31 games uh, for that to happen. Uh, so I think, obviously, he'll be hoping to repeat his performance and I think you've got to keep him upfield. Uh, interesting to see what to do if it is a back five. Who starts uh, if Longley and Davis are out? Personally, I'd probably play Sanchez. I, I think... <laughs> Actually, to be fair, some of the other journalists were making the point that away from home, yeah, if you're going to do it, it's probably the time to do it. I think the thing for him now, after what happened on Saturday against Bournemouth, he just needs to get back on the pitch as soon as possible and and play. And I think playing away from home would probably help him. I think you're better doing it against Newcastle rather than bringing him in against Manchester United in the midweek game if they need to bring him in. Uh, so other than that, it's early Jaffet Tanganga, really, uh, mm. given the injury situation at the moment. So I, I'd probably put Sanchez in there if it comes to it. If there's no positive news on the injury front, then I probably would, to be fair, put him in. What, Romero on the left again? Yeah, or oh, Sanchez on on the left. There, uh, yeah, Sanchez is better on the right, isn't he? I suppose, but then you lose obviously Romero in his best position. So, decision for Stellini to make. Uh, tough one. It really is. It really is. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a big call. That's a big call, which is why I made the kind of surprise noise when you suggested. It. I was like, ooh. Um, I get it. I absolutely understand the logic behind it. Um, it may be, you know, to be honest, he's the most senior centre-back if Longley's out. 
you know, he is who you naturally would put in that position. I just wonder whether Tanganga being able to play on the left and having seen him on the left, maybe you're allowing Romero then to be your best, let's be honest, your best defender in his best position. Um, yeah, no, that's really interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. The fact that he may be actually forced to almost put Tanganga, uh, sorry, Tanganga, Sanchez in. Um, yeah, yeah, great point. I think with Sanchez as well, it's probably about how he acts this week. And obviously that's going to be down to Stellini, uh, his teammates as well, to make sure his head's in the right place and he is ready to go at St. James's Park on Sunday if called upon. So, yeah, some big decisions coming Christian Stellini's way. And hopefully on the next podcast, it will be a bit more of a positive one. But who knows in the world of Tottenham? Right, <laughs> we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Talk Tottenham as ever. Thank you for listening in and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash goldcast to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.